0: We'll be reading in Acts 15, uh, verses 1 through 21, and the words will be on screen for those who are watching remotely. Uh, I invite you to open a Bible or a phone if that's convenient for you too. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching to the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they had finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Listen to me. And Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, and its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. And then the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. These things known from long ago. James continued, "It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat offered uh, of meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues." On every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes, when you're trying something that is brand new, you have to learn on the fly, you have to figure it out as you go. Uh, Take this company called SpaceX, uh, a company that regularly shoots rockets up into the sky, launches satellites into space several times a month, and brings them down to land on these barges at sea. They they refurbish the rocket, and then they relaunch it again and again and again. They've, They've brought the cost of launching a rocket down from something like $100 million to half that much, $50 million or less if you send up 60 satellites at a time like they do all the time. They can do four astronauts, too, up to the space station uh, in one of their rockets. And uh, well, you can tell I like rockets a little bit. I, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid. So Judah and I watch these launches almost every time we can. We'll watch the little clips afterward. Now, you'd think that SpaceX would stick to their tried and true rocket, their most reliable rocket. In fact, this morning they launched one at about 2.39 a.m. for the tenth time it had been used. Ten times that rocket had gone up to space and come back down again without blowing up and they landed it safely on the barge. But no, they're working on a new rocket, a whole new kind of rocket that they've never done before. It's this beautiful stainless steel tower, uh, silver and gleaming and shining. It's called the Starship. And it's a totally different kind of rocket. It uses uh, liquid methane fuel. It's got new engines. It it takes off vertically, goes up, does a belly flop. It coasts down on these stubby little wings it has. And then glides to a landing. But before it lands, it goes vertical again and carefully sets down on the launching pad. Oh, and it's exploded every single time they've launched it. It's blown up in, in, in shards of, of, of steel flying everywhere and fire, big ball of fire and smoke until you can't see a thing. But that's okay because SpaceX's motto is a fail fast, fix fast. Fail fast, fix fast. They, they learn from every failure. They, they collect data, they try new things, and then they fix the new problems that appear each time because there is no manual for what they're doing. They're learning it on the fly. Now that's what the early church is doing here in the book of Acts. They're learning on the fly. They're they're seeing the new things that the Spirit is doing among them in the church. See, people are hearing the word and they receive the Spirit and they're baptized that very same day, 3,000 of them. And then persecution breaks out and the church is scattered out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to do the very mission that Jesus commissioned them to do. And last week we saw how Philip ran alongside this Ethiopian eunuch's uh, chariot. And he started up this gospel conversation with him about the book of Isaiah. And this foreigner, this religious outcast, believes. And he's baptized that very day right along the road. And then the Spirit reveals to Peter that there is nothing that is unclean. There is no unclean food. In fact, God made it all. And then sends him on a journey to this Gentile Cornelius in a faraway city. And then this new church in Antioch where Paul comes from, they send out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey off to Cyprus and the Mediterranean Sea in the north up into Turkey to visit some churches. And they start out preaching to Jews in the synagogues, but pretty soon they see that Gentiles are interested, are eager to come and believe because the Spirit is doing something new. And that brings us to this text today, Acts 15, the, the pivotal point in the early church. Because the question facing everyone is this. Do Gentiles who follow Jesus have to become Jews? Do Gentiles who follow Jesus have to become Jews? Well, we know the answer. No, they don't, but, but it's a bit more complicated than that. See, this, this is the moment when this, the group of followers of Jesus, the way of Jesus, become the Christian church and not just some other sect of the Jews who had some unusual beliefs about the Messiah. And it all comes down to a meeting, a, a committee meeting, This meeting called the the Jerusalem Council. Now, the the problem first shows up in that church in Antioch, which is this church that's on the forefront of mission. They're the most multicultural church in in the area. It's full of believers from lots of different nations. And they've already sent out Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel, to preach to Gentiles. And by the time those two get back from their first missionary journey, there's already trouble brewing in that little church in Antioch. Because some believers from Jerusalem and Judea have come down and they've started preaching that the Gentiles have to follow Moses' law. And that is a problem for some of them. See, it's, it's not just about circumcision, although that's literally a knife's edge issue for some people. No, it's about the whole of the law, all the ritual and the purity laws, all the religious and ceremonial laws, all the social laws of Moses. Do followers of Jesus have to follow all of those? It's an open question here in the early church. And they're not quite so sure how to solve it. Oh, of course, we, we know better now. We've got the hindsight. We know that Jesus saves us by faith alone. Sure, but remember, the early church is figuring things out on the fly. They, they don't have the New Testament scriptures. All they have to go on, they are the New Testament scriptures. All they have to go on is Moses and the prophets and what they heard and saw Jesus do plus what they can see with their own eyes. The Spirit is at work within them. The the Spirit is working in Gentiles and Jews alike, but still they've got to call a committee to to make a decision on the matter. So Paul and the the Antioch church and Barnabas, they decide that they're not going to go it alone. They, They send a team of believers up to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles and the elders. And on the way, they pass through Phoenicia, which I remember from way back when is enemy territory, where, where Elijah was uh, welcomed by a, a Phoenician widow. And then they go through Samaria, where we've heard that tons of believers have, be, uh, re, uh, tons of Jews have believed and, and followed the way of Jesus. And they see joy along the way. And then they're, they're, everyone is excited to hear that there are Gentiles believing too. And a week or so later, uh, by land, they, they arrive in Jerusalem. And they bring this joyful report of everything that God is doing. The, the missionary journeys, Gentiles believing, and then, then the council begins. And first, a group of believers from among the Pharisees, yes, uh, Pharisees who followed Jesus, they get up and they make their statement. They say, Gentiles must become Jews. They have to follow Moses' law. They have to be circumcised. And so the council meets to consider this question. And they include people from all sides. There are Pharisees and there are apostles like Peter. There's Paul and Barnabas, the missionaries. There's elders like James. And everyone gets a voice. Everyone gets a chance. And they argue back and forth for a long time. We don't know exactly what they said, but synods and councils sometimes do that. And again, I want to point out that this is a big deal. It's not that anyone has a problem with Gentiles believing. They're all in favor of preaching to the Gentiles. And it's not that Gentiles don't have a place in God's redemption. Uh, they've known that ever since God promised to Abraham that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The problem is, how can Gentiles receive God's blessing, God's covenant blessing, without following the law? See, one, one commentator says the problem here isn't exclusion, it's, it's covenant inclusion, The Jews want the Gentiles to be part of God's blessing. And as long as anyone has known this is the way it works, follow God's law, be circumcised, even Jesus did it. So should these new Gentile believers. But not so fast, say the leaders in the early church. Not so fast. They're realizing that God's spirit is doing something new here. They are learning on the fly. And when a church is young, every decision needs to be made on the fly. Uh, when I was a, a young missionary going up into the mountains of Laos, there was this new group of English-speaking Christians there. Most of them had just moved there the year before for work. Uh, in fact, that when I was first recruited by World Renew, they told me that when I went there, I would have no Christian community at all. Well, when I got there, there were people. There were enough people to start a little church. And it was such a blessing. It, it was such a joy to get together and try to figure out how to be church together on Sundays. And of course, we weren't inventing everything from scratch. We had our Bibles, we had uh, our churches that we were a part of, we had seen various different ways of doing churches over the years, we had our fancy ideas, and we were a pretty mixed bunch too. There were some Americans, some Canadians, some people from the UK and the Netherlands, uh, others from Singapore and Malaysia, even as far as Mongolia. And we all came from different church backgrounds. We had uh, Baptists and Brethren, Pentecostals and Lutherans and Reformed people and Evangelicals. And, but there were two things we had in common. We loved Jesus and we spoke English. So we tried lots of different things. We, we worshipped on Sunday afternoons. We uh, had communion every Sunday, even though none of us had grown up doing it that way. We studied the Bible in small groups some weeks. And other weeks we had someone give a sermon. We took turns hosting in our homes, and some weeks we uh, sang a cappella hymns in a good Brethren way, and other times we got a guitar out and sang some modern worship songs. And We had so much fun uh, reinventing church on the fly. Like the church in Acts, sometimes new circumstances force us to listen to the Spirit. Maybe it's a global pandemic like nothing we've seen in our lifetimes before. Maybe it's the church beginning to realize how widespread injustice is in our society. Or maybe it's some conflict in the church that brings some issue to the front. Whatever it is, what we see happening here in Acts 15 is a model. See, Paul and Barnabas don't go off and do their own thing. They engage with their opponents in the church. They, they send a delegation to Jerusalem. They call a council of believers from many different backgrounds to discuss the issue and they do their best to focus on what they have in common, or rather, who they have in common, Jesus Christ. Now, the Jerusalem Council starts out kind of contentious until Peter gets up. Peter, the, the disciple of Jesus, the one who abandoned Jesus, yet returned to him Peter, who, who went to Gentile Cornelius and stuck his foot in his mouth only to take it out again and say, now I get it. God doesn't play favorites. God welcomes believers from any nation who come to him. Peter gets up and says three things. And, and this summary of these three things I get from uh, Al Posma, a CRC pastor in Ontario. First, he, he sets a new foundation. See, the the issue here is so big that the church isn't just rebuilding things, but they're setting a new foundation. The Pharisees are asking the wrong question. Uh, What did God reveal in the past? No, Peter says, look at the present. What is God revealing now? Through the Spirit, God is doing something new. Why? Because God is the one who knows hearts. And that word, by the way, is a special one-time, here-only name for God in the Bible. God The heart-knower. God, the heart-knower. And the proof is in the Spirit. See, they, they received the Spirit. So what's to prevent them from being baptized? God does not play favorites. You get the Spirit. You get the Spirit. You get the Spirit. God knows their hearts. Everyone gets the Spirit. And then second, he builds on that foundation. See, the question isn't, what must they do to be saved? The question is, what has been done for them to be saved? And the answer is that the Spirit gave them faith. They believed, they received the Spirit, regardless of whether they followed Moses' law or not. The ship has sailed on that one. The horse is out of the barn. Are Gentiles part of God's family? Well, too late there. They've got the Spirit. And then third, Peter dismantles the old foundation. See, the Pharisees wanted these Gentiles to jump through the same hoops as as they had to And Peter reminds them that they couldn't do it anyway. The the law was too heavy a yoke for them to bear. They couldn't keep it, not them nor their ancestors. And remember what Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It all hinges on grace, on Jesus' grace. Grace. Do we believe, all of us, uh, Pharisees and Jews and Gentiles and Reformed Christians, do we really believe that we're saved by grace through our Lord Jesus Christ? Because if that's true, then none of this matters. If the Jews are saved by grace, then, then, then so are the Gentiles. If Jesus' grace is all that matters, then why is the church putting heavy burdens on the Gentiles? And let, let me say it a bit more plainly. Either Jesus' grace saves us, or none of us are saved at all see if the early church had decided in this moment that the gentiles needed to become jews then they would have denied the saving power of jesus grace none of us gentiles would be here today but thanks be to god the spirit moved them the other way they remembered the power of jesus grace the whole assembly was silent And I think the Spirit moved in that silence to open hearts, to change minds. And and then Paul and Barnabas get up and they tell story after story after story of the Spirit's work among them, these signs and wonders that they saw among the Gentiles, and they give witness to the Spirit's movement along the way. And then finally, James speaks. Now, this is James, the brother of Jesus, we think, not James, the the brother of John, the apostle of Jesus. He's he's been martyred already by this point. But James gets up, and he sums up the whole conversation by quoting the the prophet Amos. He goes to Scripture. He he foretells uh, how God would rebuild the temple, how the Gentiles would seek the Lord. Now, so far, the council has been discerning God's will through what God is presently doing through the Spirit, through the the experience of the community of believers, and now through Scripture. And these three elements, the Scripture, Spirit, and community, need to be present any time we're seeking God's will. And James sums up the conversation by saying this, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, we, we shouldn't ask them to follow the law of Moses and be circumcised. We see the Spirit moving among them and us, We know that it's Jesus' grace that saves us and them. So what can we do? We can live together in harmony. What can we do? We can live together in harmony. And James asks the Gentile believers to do do four things, to live like foreigners would live in Jewish lands. Do these four things from Moses' law for sojourners. Don't eat idle foods, no sexual immorality, no strangling animals, no blood. They seem strange to us now. They're they're for that context. But the the lesson is, don't give offense. Try not to give offense. Live in such a way with other believers that we can eat together. Live in the way of welcome. Now, uh, Al Postma, that pastor in Ontario, wonders, what if James stood up to say, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Americans or or Canadians who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to... And I wonder how he would finish that sentence. See, what are the things that are so uh, essential to do for Americans who become Christians? What are the things that we need to be careful about? What are the things we leave behind? And what are the things we hold on to as good And second, he says, notice what the Spirit is doing among us. Is the Spirit doing something new among us? How can we be open to and listen to and discern what the Spirit is doing? Well, we can listen to Scripture. We can listen to the Spirit. We listen to the community of the church. And it's not always easy. But we need to discern which ways of life are fitting for Christians always and in all times. And what are the things that are fitting for a particular time and place? And that's the Spirit's work. The Spirit translates the scriptures to our hearts. The Spirit applies the word to our hearts and our situations. And here's what it looks like. You you serve one another by building things for each other. You, You welcome strangers and break bread with them. You volunteer at events and clean up after them when everyone's left. You give generously and quietly and courageously. You mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. You bring food for family and friends who are in need. You pray without ceasing for one another. Because that's what it means to be church on the fly. That's what it means to be church. Like those rocket engineers at SpaceX, we learn as we go. And sometimes we stick the landing. Uh, Like they did last week with that starship rocket. Uh, It landed upright after the fifth test flight. And there was no boom, no explosion. It did not blow up. And when the smoke cleared, there was the gleaming starship. They did it. They learned on the fly, and so do we. We listen to the Spirit. We move. We act. We follow the way of Jesus, the way of the Spirit, the way of welcome. And that's what it means to be church. That's what it means to follow Jesus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, by your Spirit, you call us to the way of, of welcome, to the way of witness, to the way of Jesus. So we pray, open our eyes to see you at work and, and our ears to listen to you. We want to, to hear you in the scriptures, to see you in the lives of our friends and neighbors, to 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 listen to the Spirit and move in ways you call us to act. We trust that you are doing this even now in our midst, and we know that you are calling us to to greater faithfulness, to account, to to follow the way of truth and righteousness. And we pray that you do that through our hands and feet, through our words and our witness, through the way we act, uh, through the way we treat other people. We pray that we may be a, a church of welcome, a church of witness, a church that, that speaks of the word of Jesus above all else. And we pray that you may do this in us today by your spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In response to the spirits speaking through the word, we'll sing a song um, which speaks of how the church of Jesus Christ is is a church of no walls, no boundaries, no barriers, but a church that welcomes all.